we're starting a, a brand new series today called Block Party. Pastor Brian kind of gave us a, a prequel to this series last week, and really our hope and our prayer is that through this time that all of us will understand the role that God wants us to play in seeing Northwest Atlanta come to faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I mean, we're just going to go ahead and claim the whole thing. We're going to circle the whole thing, and I want you to start today by circling the people on your block. Say, I don't live on a block. Well, you've got one of those little blocks of land in Paulding County or in Cobb County or in Bartow or Douglas, wherever you're driving here from. You've got a little block of land or you've got a little block of apartments or whatever it is that you're in, but we are saying it begins at your house with your neighbors and goes out to our community, our country, and our world. And last week we talked a little bit about who is my neighbor and Pastor Brian defined neighbor as anyone who comes across your path. You say, how did he get to that? Well, in Luke chapter 10, someone asked Jesus, hey, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, I I don't know. What do you think? Well, he knew, but he said, well, what do you think? And the guy in Luke chapter 10, verse 27 said this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And everybody in the crowd had to have smirked just a little bit. You say, why is that? Because he just gave the Jesus answer to Jesus. Jesus has been asked, what's the greatest law? What's the greatest thing we should be doing? And Jesus is the only one who took Deuteronomy 6.5 and Leviticus 19.18 and combined all 613 Old Testament laws into one big super law where we basically say, love God and love people. And so the guy just gave the Jesus answer to Jesus. But the issue in the Jewish culture is that a neighbor is somebody who is Jewish, somebody I like, someone who's like me. And so Jesus tells a parable, a parable we know know of as the parable of the Good Samaritan. A Samaritan was the enemy of the Jew, someone who had offended them in the highest of ways. And so Jesus, in the telling of his story, he redefined neighbor and he said, a neighbor is anyone who comes across your path. A neighbor includes the person who lives physically next to you, the person that you like who's around you. It even includes your enemy. It's anyone who comes across your path. It was new teaching. It was new revelation. It was taking a people who would happily go through their life with blinders on and now open up their eyes to the possibilities. Love your neighbor as yourself, anyone who comes across your path. Now that's a little bit of a challenge for us today. It continues to be a challenge because a lot of our life has really become about being efficient and being uninterrupted and really not having to deal with anyone on your path. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, think about this. From your computer, from your tablet or your phone, you can order anything you want when you want it. I mean, if you time yourself right, if you are walking with God, before you leave your house, you can place your order for your pumpkin spice latte, hashtag PSL, hashtag PTL, if you know what I'm saying. You can, you can place that order and have it timed so that when you walk in the door, you don't have to talk to anybody. It's a beautiful thing. You can just walk in. Your name is already on it. They've got your drink the way you want it. You go in, you walk out, you move on about your business, and your path has been completely uninterrupted. I mean, you can watch any show you want whenever you want it on pretty much any device that you want. You can order your groceries from Walmart on the internet. Apocalypse now. I mean, really and truly. You can order your groceries from Walmart on the internet and go in and pick them up. 
My favorite mobile thing to do, just because it frustrates people so much, I love ordering online from Chipotle because that line is always 75 minutes long. And I love going in there, picking up my burrito bowl that I've ordered in advance and the Lord's chips and guacamole. And I love just kind of going in and waving at everybody who's still standing in line while they look at me like, who do you think you are? Or like I just parted the Red Sea. It's the most beautiful thing on the planet. Listen, we live in a world where you don't have to talk to anybody if you don't want to. Love your neighbor as yourself, as long as you don't have to deal with them. Really, I'll just feel it in my heart that I love them. Even Chick-fil-A has an app, all right? One app to rule them all. Listen, we love the Chick-fil-A app because it's the one that brings the chicken, right? I mean, it's the one, it's amazing what you can do with the Chick-fil-A app. And I was listening to an interview not too long ago with one of their marketing VPs, David Sawyers, and he says, you know, the app was created because we're trying to help identify pain points and aggravation. And nobody at Chick-fil-A would say this, but I know what pain points and aggravation is code for. Other people. I don't want to deal with pain points and aggravation. I just want my chicken. I can love my neighbor as myself as long as I don't have to deal with them. I mean, we are all naturally self-centered. And now we're all immersed in an environment that's continually about us. All the places where we buy things, they're all customer-centric. That's you and me. And I don't mind it. But it becomes a real challenge when it comes to loving your neighbor as yourself if you don't allow for room for neighbors. We're all a little self-centered, just a little bit. You say, well, that's kind of mean. I didn't come to church to hear that today. Oh, come on. You know the test for self-centeredness. You have heard this before, okay? Whenever you find out that you're in a picture and someone gives you a copy of the picture or they turn around their phone and they show it to you, who are you looking for? I'm looking for me. If you want me to approve whether or not this picture gets posted somewhere in cyberspace, I don't care that you look 10 pounds thinner. From the angle that you took that, I've grown three extra chins. You cannot post that picture. We are all a little bit self-centered at the end of the day. And here's the thing about this. Selfishness, a little bit of self-centeredness as it grows, as we go about our day, as we are focused on our own lives, on our own path, there's something that comes about here. There's something that that becomes the result that some have said throughout the ages, in fact, as early as the first and second century, some have said that the result of self-centeredness is the worst sin of them all. Some have said that it is the underlying thing behind all other sins. When we have blinders on and we are only about ourselves and we're going through life trying to make sure that we get to where we want to be on time and have everything that we want, the result of our self-centeredness is one word, indifference. Indifference. I don't care what's going on with the rest of the world. I don't care what's going on down the street. I don't care what's going on next door. I don't care how long you've been waiting in line. I really don't. I don't care. I'm all about me. And that indifference is dangerous. 
and it's creeping into our lives. And I think in some, in some cases it creeps into the church. It was creeping in as early as Matthew chapter 11. Jesus addresses it and he says this, but to what shall I compare this generation? We'll talk about who he's talking about in a moment. It's like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and they say, look at him. He's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by their deeds. Jesus is having a discussion here. He's being challenged on some things just a little bit. People are pushing him just a little bit, but it's not the normal people. It's not the Pharisees. It's not the teachers of the law. It's not the people in the synagogues. He's being asked questions by the disciples of John. And he's saying, listen, you've seen John do great things. My first cousin, the guy who went before me, the guy who, who paved the way for me, you've seen him do and, and you've seen him say and heard him say some great and incredible things. And now Jesus has come along and he's doing greater things and he's doing miracles. And Jesus is saying, you could care less. I mean, we're giving you everything that we've got here. And he compares, he says, it's like you're at a wedding and you don't dance. It's like you're at a funeral and you're not crying. You have no emotion. All these people are doing is they're comparing the methods. They're seeing miracles. They're hearing the best teaching on the planet. And they're talking about lights and haze and video. Well, this church has this and they do things this way. And so this is great. Well, this church doesn't have cushion seats. They have wooden benches and organs and, and hymns and, and things like that. And it doesn't matter, Jesus is saying. You're hearing God's word. You're hearing great music. You're seeing and hearing some great things happening. God is moving all around you and you are ignoring it. You're indifferent to it. Then look at what Jesus says. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, which was his hometown for his adult ministry, this is where he lived. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom then for you. Listen to what he's saying. Three towns on the north shores of the Sea of Galilee, about seven square miles between the three of them. That's where he did, even according to the scriptures, most of his mighty works and deeds, and they missed him. They remained indifferent. Some have said the sin that underlies all other sins. The Catholic saint Thalassio said this, a soul becomes apathetic, another word for indifferent when it becomes sick with self-indulgence. And in a world where our favorite things feed our self-centeredness more than ever before, the dangers of indifference and apathy are more prevalent than ever before. Listen, indifference can become a cancer on your life and you don't even know it's there. It's truly a silent killer to the life of God. Truly. Think about the impact indifference might have on a marriage when you're not trying to woo one another as hard as you were perhaps when you were dating or when you were first married. It can become a, a cancer 
on a marriage. And difference can hurt your career. It can cause you to stop growing. It can cause you to stop caring. It can cause you to stop developing yourself, working as hard. And difference can be a plague on your health. Letting things slide and diet and exercise can lead you to a point where some real unhealthiness comes under the surface. Silent kills, killers, things you, you may not see. And I'm not just talking about unhealthiness where the pants don't slide on the way they used to. I'm talking about real unhealthiness. I'm talking about heart disease and, and cancer and diabetes. And most of these things, research is telling us more and more and more. Most of these things, we can't blame it on our parents or on genetics. Most of these things are because of the way we treat our own lives and our own indifference. Indifference can plague any area of your life. It can plague your finances, your parenting. It can plague people who deal with addiction because you may not even realize there's a problem. And if we're supposed to love our neighbors as ourselves, then putting our heads down and being indifferent is not an option. And let me just say this. For those of you raised in the church as I was and raising kids in the church as I am, there is an extraordinary danger because unknowingly our indifference can feed the notion that God doesn't matter that everyone is going to be okay. And before you know it, you're drifting farther and farther away and your kids are drifting farther and farther away from the things that matter most. We all have a natural tendency to drift and we never drift in good directions. I read just a, a tragic story not too long ago. It caught my attention. It was about a woman who was hiking the Appalachian Trail and and some of you know that my wife has really taken up hiking this year. It's something we love to do as a, as a family. And, and we just, we love it. We've, we've done some day hikes on the Appalachian Trail. And I was reading about this woman who's in her 60s. She'd been hiking for 40 plus years. And she had started in around Huntington, West Virginia. And she was going to hike to Maine with a friend. She was going to go more than a thousand miles with a friend. And she kept checking in with her husband and he kept bringing them supplies so they wouldn't have to carry so much. And her friend had a, a family emergency and had to leave her out there alone. And, and so she continued her trek. She decided to keep on going. And then she drifted off the path just a little bit. She took just a slight detour. And after about a day had gone by, she realized she was really lost. And she was really in trouble. She tried to text her husband couldn't get through. We find out later on, she tried to text him 10, 12, 20 times with that text never going through. Ultimately, people looked for her for months and months and months and months. The story does not end well. She was found dead a couple of years later she had wandered off the trail less than two miles. She was trying to walk over half a million feet and she had drifted just around 10,000 of them. And as a result of that drift, she lost her life and her family said, you know, she had been hiking for 40 years, but truly she didn't even know how to use a compass. See, I think that's the danger for us today, particularly for those of us who have known Christ our whole lives, particularly if you've been raised in the Bible belt of American Christian life. I think there is a tendency for us to drift 
and to not use and apply the very basics of the Christian walk to our lives. And when we do that, we drift. You do not get to sit still. You are either moving backwards or forwards or you are drifting and you are not drifting in a good direction if that would be how you would describe your walk with Christ. So what does God do? God calls his people back. One of my favorite books in the Bible is the book of Malachi. And I just want to give you a synopsis of it over the next few moments, just really, really quickly. The book of Malachi starts with a four-word declaration from God before he makes a correction on the drift of the people. Here's his four-word declaration. I have loved you, says the Lord. If you find yourself drifting today, if you find yourself indifferent today to the people around you, to the things of God, I want these four words to be your wake-up call in this space, in this place today. These are the first four words you need to hear no matter what is going on in your life today. No matter what it is, I have loved you, says the Lord. That's your message today. I've loved you. This is always how he begins to call his people back. While you're a sinner in unbelief, I've loved you. When you're mocking me, I love you. When you're trying to live your life apart from me, I love you, I love you, I love you. While you were trying to do it all on your own, I've loved you. That's what makes him such a good, good father. While you're giving me less than your best, I have loved you most. And that's what's happening in the book of Malachi. The book of Malachi is a very short, very quick book on how The sacrificial system in the Old Testament is broken down. They're supposed to come to God with their best lambs. They're supposed to give him their first fruits and they're they're not doing that. This was all a part of worship. But instead, at this point in history, they decided we're gonna go ahead and do the worship part, but we're not gonna give God our very best. So they're bringing in the bruised lambs. They're bringing in not the firstborns. They're just bringing in kind of whatever they have around and they're just not really even valuing the time that they're spending with God. The lambs they want to discard anyway. I have loved you, says the Lord. And then he says this. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors that you may not kindle fire on my altar in vain. Oh, that someone would wake up and understand that the life that I have called you to, the worship that I have called you to is not one where we can be careless or indifferent, but one where I want you all in. And why doesn't somebody just shut the doors if you're not going to do that? Give me everything you've got because I'm giving everything I've got to you. I have loved you, says the Lord. Skipping down all the way to Malachi chapter three, God says this, from the days of your fathers, you turned aside from me. But return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. You say, how do we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you're robbing me, God says. You say, how have we robbed you in your tithes and and contributions, God says. You're cursed with a curse for you're robbing me. Every one of you bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, and see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Yes, this is a passage about giving, but it's a passage about so much more. It's about worship. God says, give everything you've got to me every single day. Give me your very best and watch and see what I will do. He goes on to say, your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. You say, how have we spoken against you? Well, here's what you said. It's vain to serve God. 
The whole God thing just doesn't seem to matter much anymore. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? You've turned aside. You've robbed me, says God. You've given me less than your best. You've turned away. You've wandered. You've drifted off the path. And what difference does it make? What difference does all of this make? Why should I turn back? Why should I give you everything I've got? In Malachi chapter four, God says this. He says, count on it. The day is coming, raging like a forest fire. All the arrogant people who do evil things will be burned up like stove wood, burned to a crisp, nothing left but scorched earth and ash. It will be a black day. But listen, but for you, for you who give me everything you've got, for you who refuse to drift, for you, for you who refuse to be indifferent, sunrise. The sun of righteousness will dawn on those who honor my name, healing radiating from its wings. You will be bursting with energy. When we cast aside a life of indifference, we get all that God has to offer us, a life bursting with energy, the joy of our salvation, the peace of God that passes all understanding, wisdom, favor, honor. He'll be our shield and protector. He'll be our rescuer when we remove the blinders of indifference and good enough Christianity and choose to go after him with everything we've got. If at any point in your journey, whether as a new follower of Christ or someone who has previously made massive strides in discipleship, if you're not moving forward, at best you're drifting. You may be moving backwards. And if you don't know him at all, you're headed for death. So where do I begin? And what will awaken me to move forward on the abundant life path that Jesus claimed to bring? You need a simple tool. Over the next several weeks of this series, we're gonna be building a process. It's a process that we want to challenge you to take step by step. Every week for the next five weeks, we're gonna be asking you with each service, with each message, to take one step. Now, what I love about the Spirit of God is as I prepare a message, as Pastor Brian prepares a message, God may say something completely different to you. The Holy Spirit speaks in ways that I can't even begin to understand really or explain. But we want to ask of our church, of our church family, that we would all go together and all make five steps together over the next several weeks. And the first one, is going to sound and perhaps is the most simple of all, but all of hell comes against us when we try to do this and certainly when we try to do it together. You have a simple tool already at your disposal, something many of you know how to use, something some of you are using, something that some of you are not using, but it has the ability to take an ordinary, already planned, your path already mapped out day. And it has the potential to take that day and breathe into it limitless possibilities. It's the first and most important tool to enable you to love your neighbor as yourself. You need a compass and you need to know how to use it. But we don't live in a compass world. We live in a GPS world. 
And in the GPS world, we have everything all mapped out for us. That's not what God gives us. But he gives us a tool so that we can follow him one step at a time with faith and obedience. The disciples saw Jesus do amazing things. And one day it occurred to them that there was one thing that was helping him turn even the most impossible circumstances, even the most seemingly ordinary days into extraordinary days. They had seen it all along. Mark talks about it in chapter one, verse 35. He says, rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, we watched Jesus. He departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. And Luke 11 The disciples, this is one of the times that the disciples question Jesus about how he begins every day. They're watching him. And at the appropriate moment, when it seems like he was done, they have a conversation in Luke chapter 11. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of the disciples said this, Lord, would you teach us to pray the way John taught his disciples? And he said to them, when you pray, say this, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. I don't care how old you are, whether you've been following Jesus for a few hours or for a few decades, you can never be still. And the one thing that can move you forward with every single day is carving out a few moments to intentionally begin with prayer. To intentionally, following the pattern of Jesus, to intentionally put all of the focus on that day on who God is and move forward in your relationship with him. Beginning with prayer is the key to moving forward every day. Prayer points us to our true north every day. That's what makes it our compass. And our true north is Jesus. And prayer fixes our eyes on him, the author and perfecter of our faith. When you begin with prayer, you get pointed every single day in the direction God wants you to go. And too often and too many days go by, day after day after day, where we don't begin this way and we find ourselves drifting. But truly, it's the answer to self-centeredness and indifference. We must begin each day with prayer. Whatever circumstance you're facing, whatever roadblock you're facing, prayer is the answer. You will make progress if you will begin with prayer. A stalled out, indifferent, dull, I don't even understand that, dull Christian life can be reinvigorated if we'll only begin with prayer. Prayer takes our eyes off our needs. Takes our eyes off ourselves and the indifference that comes with that. And gives us the desire to see God rule and reign in our lives. It's his kingdom come, Jesus said. It's his will that we want to see done when we go to him first in prayer. When you begin with prayer, your life moves from indifference to expectation. Every single day, filled now with new possibilities, every day becomes a prayer. When we begin this way, prayer opens our eyes 
to the way that God wants to impact other people, to the way that he wants us to impact our little block, to the way that he wants us to impact the street where we live, to the way that God wants us to make a difference wherever we go, wherever we work, wherever we play, where your kids go to school, to the ball field, to the coffee house. Prayer moves you from a head down, just get me through life to one filled with God-breathed possibilities if we'll begin with prayer. Second Corinthians chapter four, the apostle Paul says this, if our gospel is veiled, then it is veiled to those who are perishing. Can I just say this? If we are indifferent, if we don't care, if we put our heads down, then the consequences, the consequence is that people die apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. In their case, verse four, The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. They've got their heads down to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, shouldn't be ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in your hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Listen, beginning with prayer is absolutely necessary to loving your neighbor as yourself. You can't do it without it. So let me ask you a question. When is the last time you prayed for those people? Yes, I just called your neighbor those people. Maybe it's your physical neighbor, the person right next to you. Maybe it's the people down the street where you live. Anyone who comes across your path. Maybe it's someone on the ball field. That guy, that loud, obnoxious, T-ball dad who already thinks his kid is a major leaguer. That guy. Begin with prayer. That lady in the office, that man in the office who just gets under your skin and they enjoy it. Begin with prayer. That need that you've seen, perhaps at the school or perhaps in a community that you drive by, that need that you've seen, you don't know what to do begin with prayer. God, I've seen kids on a screen who live in a dump. What can I do about that? Begin with prayer. Here's what we believe. If we as a church body, as a family on a mission here at Westridge Church, if we will all begin to take some steps together, God will get a party going in this house but we've got to start inviting people to the party. What do you mean party? Thanks for asking. Appreciate that. Luke chapter 15. Jesus tells him a parable. He says this. What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, 
he calls together with his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. God wants to get the party going. And he's asking his people, he's challenging his people today to stop moving around with your head down and start looking for anyone who's coming across your path and how you might be able to unveil the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. But we can't be indifferent to them. We can't not care about them. We can't just love them in our hearts or say that we love our neighbor as ourselves and do nothing. And so one charge today one encouragement today to throw aside indifference and to begin with prayer for one other person, for one other place that you go along your life's path. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me today? If you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then today the invitation to you is the same one that I'm going to give to all the followers of Jesus in this room in just a moment. The invitation to you is to begin with prayer. But your first prayer is to say to God, God, I have tried to do life on my own. God, I know that I have sinned, I have messed up and I need to come to Jesus for repentance. I need to come to you for repentance. And for what Jesus has done for me, for the blood that was shed to cover my sins, for the resurrection that happened so that I might live again, live forevermore and have abundant life now, I come to you, God. Right now, if you need to begin your life with prayer, your life with God in prayer, would you pray with me in your own words? Pray, God, I come before you right now understanding just even a little bit, but understanding that apart from you, I'm on a wrong path. And God, today I put my faith and trust in the fact that you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross for my sins. His blood was shed for all the ways that I fall short of you, God. I put my faith in that. I put my hope in that. I wanna give my life to that. Show me how to walk this path. I will not be indifferent. Thank you, God, for coming into my life, for indwelling my life. Today, if you pray to receive Jesus Christ as your savior, in your own words, would you take that Get Connected card that you received as you were coming in, would you take it to our help center out there? We wanna help you get started on your journey with Jesus. If you did not get one of those cards as you came in today, they've got them for you out there. Just go out there and say, today I prayed to receive Christ as my savior. And don't be surprised if a little yelp goes out of that person, a little excitement goes out of that person because a party has started. A party just happened in heaven because of you, because of the decision you made today in your life. Now with heads bowed and eyes closed, Christ follower. part of the family of God on a mission here at Westridge Church. A mission to see those who are lost be found. I give you one challenge today to throw off indifference and to begin every day with God focused on him 
and to ask him right now, who, which of your neighbors is it, God, that you want me to dedicate to prayer over the next five weeks? Over the next five weeks of this series, I believe the spirit of God is putting names and faces in the minds of every person in this room. How much fun would it be if you don't even know their name yet, but God has just given you a face and you've just said, really God, that person, I don't even know them yet. God says, okay, I do. You'll get to know them. Would you begin with prayer? Would you be faithful to begin with prayer? For one life, every day, for one life, every day, the same life, every day, for the next five weeks of this series, we believe that God wants to start a party in our midst. God, would you start a work and a movement that only you can? God, I pray that every single one of us would be faithful to give to you every day those that you have put in our path. God, may we be faithful to pray. May we be faithful to take our next steps along this path with you, God, and to see you do great and awesome and mighty things. And we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.